Hello, my name is Richard Cox, and I'm here with Tim Free today. And today I'm going to be asking Tim about psychedelics. Tim, good morning. Good morning. You're uniquely positioned in some ways, I think, to address this subject. You're, um, you run and are very involved in experiential mysticism. So to say you run events on and are very involved in experiential mysticism. You're also a philosopher who tries to really articulate the mystical experience. And in addition to that, you've experimented with psychedelics over the course of your spiritual journey. Yeah. Um, just for someone who's new to this subject, start us off, first of all, by, by putting your historian's hat on and just tell us how psychedelics have been used throughout history in um, spiritual experiences and religious traditions. Oh, what a great question. My, I suspect that mystical experiences start with naturally occurring psychedelics. Uh, you know, my philosophy is evolutionary, so that greater things come out of lesser things, as we see in the evolutionary process. So I suspect the ability to enter these deep mystical states without um, chemicals affecting the body, just to do it from straight from soul, have arisen first by people um, ingesting mushrooms and taking these naturally uh, arising psychedelics. So what you see in a lot of shamanic cultures is the use of power plants. Mm -hmm. What you see in, in, the, in the Soma in India is probably that. In, in, in ancient Greece, um, the, the, they're, they're taking these... Egypt with the, the, uh, the lotus, the blue lotus, is that they're ingesting these psychedelics and it's altering their state of consciousness profoundly and they're finding themselves catapulted into a different perception of reality. So my, my suspicion is that like shamanism, it, it is the root from which, the, from which everything has grown. Just, I'm just interested, it just occurred to me that you were saying that, is that congruent with the people you meet? Because you meet a lot of people who are on a spiritual journey in some way. And I suspect for a lot of those people, their own journey would have started with some sort of mind-altering substance and then they've gone on to more sober way of yeah i mean you know it didn't with me hmm. it with me as most people who've been around my work knows you know it just happened spontaneously when i was was quite young for most of my friends not all but a large number and for a lot of the people that most influenced me like uh, Richard Alpert, Ram Dass, uh, Aldous Huxley, uh, Alan Watts. These are people who found their first big awakening through taking psychedelics. And certainly the people that come to my events, they're, they're of certainly of a certain age. These are people who, it, it, it's an incredibly powerful way of initiating a shift of consciousness because it comes from the outside. Spirituality ultimately is about making that shift in consciousness from the inside, but it, it takes it and, you know, and it's, and it's as simple as, you know, anyone who hasn't done this can get a sense of what that feels like by, Oh, I feel, I feel grumpy and tense today. I'll have a drink. Mm. You have a drink, you feel more relaxed. The next thing you're doing you're laughing because it affects you from the outside. Now, ideally you just want to feel relaxed and, and happy from the inside, but by taking these things, you can affect it from the outside. Now, I just want to just grab this moment, really, because we're going to talk about, it's a difficult thing we're talking about. I'm a 
paralogical philosopher. I see everything from two sides. I think that everything is ambiguous, and these things are ambiguous. And you can get that immediately from the metaphor with the alcohol, because you know, I'm, you know, one of my best friends died at 35 from alcohol abuse. My dad was an alcoholic. You know, I'd been, and yet also everyone knows that having a drink has a nice effect. So it has two sides. It's not one or the other. And all of these things you ingest have these two sides. It's not one or the other. There's something very positive about them. And then there's something very negative about them, which you need to be aware of as well. And I just want to state right up from the start that, you know, I have known loads and loads of people, as I've just said, for whom psychedelics were a major opening to spiritual awakening. And I have known lots of people who, for whom it has turned into a problem. Mm. who have found things like marijuana uh, has led to depression and um, psychological problems arising from LSD and so forth. So it's not one or the other. Do you think spirituality can, can speak to that? So what you do now, and I'm jumping ahead a bit here, but what you do now is a more sober um, approach to getting into these mystical states. And can that speak to addiction? Is it yeah. People are- yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because we all need a way out of, mm. and if your only way out of mm, is I take one of these, you will get addicted. Uh, if on the other hand, you know, there's another way out, which is actually much more healing. Uh, then that can really help, which is why anything, you know, <laughs> Just taking just taking psychedelics and putting them in a a sacred context can do that. I mean, one of the great things which is happening right now is when I was taking psychedelics when I was 18, 19, 20, young man, psychedelics were becoming much more popular and there was they were beginning to be used in a very social way. Not for me. You know, right from the start, because I'd had an awakening. For me, they were always like a sacrament. They were a sacred thing to do. And that was my intention. And because that was my intention, geez, Richard, I wish I could tell you. I mean, I had the most amazing, beautiful, deep experiences, which, you know, no matter what negatives I've seen from these things since, I will always be grateful because it was so sweet and so much insight and love. But that they were increasingly not in a in a in a sacred or a, a, a conscious mm-hmm. environment, you know. And and I would also go around to people's houses and see people tripped out of their heads on LSD, sitting down in a very sort of zombie-like state, watching the color television on full. <laughs> you know, all the color turned up, and it was like, okay, I get that, but really, is that it? Because if you follow that road. These things don't open you up, they close you down. Hmm. Yeah, I totally get that. My initial awakening experience that got me interested in this whole world came from um, drinking whiskey, actually. And uh, I've never really heard anyone talk about alcohol in this context. But it was the day after um, I would have um, somewhere, and it probably has to be a single malt, and I'm joking, but um, <laughs> I would have this real kind of awakening experience. I'd spend the day in the garden just amazed at like the aliveness of the grass under my feet and how blue the sky was, and just have this sense that everything was okay, and this world is one small part of a much greater world. It just lifted all my anxiety. And um, it was in trying to, I knew something had shifted in my mind, 
right? And I knew substances could do that. Um, but I'd also heard of things like meditation, and that's that's something to do with causing a conscious shift as well in some way. I don't yeah, understand. Right. Well, and you- then when I read Zen and it had these references to being in the moment, it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of what it was like. I was in the moment on those days. So it, it got me on that path then. But without it, um, I don't know that I'd have ever opened up to this because it was such a – it seemed like the most amazing contrast then to my – um, typical 16-year-old's world, right? It, it, the world it opened up was just in such a stark contrast that I knew something totally radically different was going on. Spirit. It's called a spirit. It's called, yeah. a, spirit. It's called a spirit because the alchemists wanted to find what the essence or spirit of the Eucharist wine was. The Eucharist wine has, was magic. So if you could refine down that magic you would get the spirit and that's where we get spirits from <laughs> and and that's you know these they were done originally again you can see the same movement what was done as a sacred thing has become now um you know have a drink of spirits and sure, yeah i could have gone that way too if i didn't find that spiritual context i could have just drunk a bottle of whiskey a day and yeah. You know? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so just going back then to those you described um your, your awakening was spontaneous the, the experience that got you into this. And then you pursued the perennial philosophy through its various forms and pursued spirituality and shifting consciousness through meditation. And also there's this psychedelic thing um, going on. Can you elaborate at all on the kind of um, experience you had that was particular to psychedelics or what that gave you at that time that the, the sober approach didn't? Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my approach has never been particularly sober, uh, but um, or oh, there has been periods, I guess. The I was, I mean, at the time that I'd had this awakening, and I and it was recurring as well. Um, so I looked around, and what was in the air at the time was coming over from mainly from America, and I became aware of people like uh, actually two Brits, but from America, Huxley, um, and Alan Watts both of whom were talking about mescaline and LSD and, and these things. So I was aware all of this was happening and it sounded similar to what I'd experienced. So I wanted to try it when I was uh, not too young. And I think that's key. <laughs> I really think that's key. I mean, I, I'm talking now in, as a man in his fifties with two kids and I'm very protective of them because I do not think we want to mess with the biology of the brain in the wrong way or at the wrong time. I think these things are very potentially very dangerous as well as very beautiful. So I was lucky, I was old enough and I had the chance to experience LSD and wham, there it was, just like they all said, I was in a completely altered state in fairyland, really, just in beauty. I would say for me, the immersed in beauty, just this incredible, the color and the texture and the wonder of everything was powerfully revealed. And it was the same and different to what I'd experienced before. Um, and I'd say that has been the same over the years that I experienced the both approaches of with plants or, or chemicals and without is that this, that the, the approach with, turns up certain sensual um, perceptions in a different way. It opens, it opens, opens up 
visionary states very, very powerfully as well. So you go into shamanic soul level of experience very, very powerfully. Uh, but the key thing which is the same is the thing that I'm most interested in, which is the, the love, is the sense of profound connectivity and reaching back into the very depths of things where there's this oneness and this all-embracing love. So the thing which was, yes, I could, you know, like anyone, I could recall all of my um, tripping experiences and they're all amazing and fascinating. But the thing which was really important to me was, oh my God, I've just entered at will by taking this thing into this other state which seems to just happen by grace what does that mean and that's been you know part of my interest as a philosopher is you know, what does that mean <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um one of the like if i was going to make a prediction about the future um of the course of my life and one of the things that i could really see happening in terms of a change in the world would be i think the war on drugs or more accurately the war on drug users could really diminish because I, I don't see the younger generation believing it in the same way or believing in the benefits of it in the same way as the older generations do so maybe I'm, I'm wrong but i could see um drugs becoming more available and um regulated uh, and socially acceptable over the course of the next 50 years or so um what do you think that'll mean for spirituality um in terms of a more will it lead to an integrated spirituality where substances psychedelics play a, a role alongside a more uh, meditative approaches yeah i mean well firstly i think the war on on drugs <laughs> if you can have a war on chemicals <laughs> is nuts um, and, and it comes from this awful cycloptic thinking you know thinking you know, paralogical thinking is looking through two eyes seeing the ambiguity cycloptic thinking is looking through one eye so people who just treat these things as the solution is no but and all and likewise the people who just think you know they the, the, the whole thing which leads to this, which has caused so much suffering, is that nobody ever, in all these TV debates, gets up and says, yeah, you're right, Jesus, I've seen a lot of people harmed by these things too. But on the other hand, mm. I've met a lot of people who had incredible spiritual experiences and felt like it was the most important thing that ever happened to them in their life. How can we balance these two things? And... and so for me, the obvious analogy with, with that that always occurs to me is a bit like, you know, if you had a debate about the use of the car and you had on, on the TV everyone whose child had been killed in a car crash and you, all you talked about was the negative aspects of the car, which are really negative, let's face it, but never went, on the other hand, they do get you from A to B, don't they? And we'd be, you know, they're kind of good, aren't they? So we have this myopic view which stops us being able to look at things as they are and therefore find the appropriate way and that has led to the most awful brutality suffering uh, whenever you get prohibition you get mafias you get gangland it's awful so phew, the sooner we can get rid of that the better and then we can look at it and go okay so what role does this play and that's everything really isn't it from slight intoxication having a drink in the evening right through ayahuasca oh my god you'll be catapulted to another reality and then for each individual it's like well what it's here in the intuition what do i need to do now you know i don't 
do these things now. That doesn't mean I won't, but I don't. I don't need to. I, I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by what's happening with my other practices and all the things that are unfolding to me. When I was younger, what I found was I used them looking back when I felt stuck. So when I felt like, God, I can't find the other world, I'd take something from the outside, I'd find it, go, oh, God, thank goodness for that, and then I could kind of carry on for a while because I was back in touch. I don't need to do that. So there's different things for different people. And the key thing is, look, all of life needs to be integrated within spirituality. Spirituality stops. We need to stop seeing it as something that floats above life as another thing. We start need to see the whole evolutionary process that we're in is a leading to greater and greater states of consciousness. And that's what spirituality is about. So everything needs to be seen in that context. Okay, Tim, finally, let me ask you then about your work now. Um, and this is a question I have on my mind, people who are um, engaged with psychedelics in some way and are having these amazing experiences of the psyche opening up of deep love. And in contrast to that, on the, the sober side of the spectrum, you have something like mindfulness meditation or Zazen, which is, you know, a bit black and white. <laughs> by, I don't mean black and white in a dualistic sense. I mean, it's like the, the TV on black and white or something. It's, you know, if you were to contrast one to the other there, um, and yet um, I don't think it would be fair to compare the kind of work you do to... That, that kind of mindfulness or zazen or very traditional kind of um, approach to engagement of consciousness. People, when I've been on your retreats, um, have compared the kind of the central experience of it to MDMA or ecstasy is one I hear most uh, commonly. So um, you've, you've chosen to go down that direction of um, um, engaging with consciousness. Um, you're not running ayahuasca ceremonies that you're doing this what's the um the value of um that approach in contrast to the substances yeah i i, I god these are great, such great questions richard look so for me i'm interested in you know the stuff from the outside great but i want to be able to do it from the inside as it were i want this to be able to be something that i can find and that's what i want to share with other people I want to share, hey, we can find that in ourselves and in each other. And when we do the soul-to-soul the -soul connecting, for instance, the gazing, things like that, you can go, oh, my God, this really shifts consciousness. What I also want to do, though, because my, you know, everyone teaches what they've got, and what I've got is I had big experiences, and they changed my life. And those big experiences um, are still with me and always will be and therefore help me on a daily basis. So my intention with the Deep Awakening retreats is I want people to come and have a big experience, which will be with them forever, and which allows them then to do the more sober stuff with knowing it's coming, that's, there is that big experience there. So they can do the day-to-day -day stuff of meditating if they're doing that or whatever their practices are, having had a big experience. So in that way, I do see my, the, the, the Deep Awake immersion, the big thing we do, the big love immersion that we do, at the deep awakening retreats as like an ayahuasca ceremony in that sense. I used to call it a ceremony. It is a kind of a ceremony. It's a way of stepping into something and going, wow, oh my God. 
And what is absolutely fascinating is, there's no doubt about it, is it is, you know, it is very comparable. What happens to you in your consciousness and even in your body is similar to the place that ecstasy can take you to from the outside. The great thing is, unlike with ecstasy, where you tend to wake up the next morning feeling rotten and a bit like drained out and like you've kind of used up a lot of something in your body because it is very hard on the body, uh, you don't from this. You wake up in the morning feeling great because you haven't put those chemicals into your body. You've allowed it to come from the inside. So for me, it's like if I've got a choice between saying to somebody, hey, you can experience, come and taste this by taking this tablet or come and taste this by joining me and gazing into the eyes of other human beings with this consciousness i'm going to say the second because it's so clean uh, and yet it's also so deep and the love is so tangible so what I mean, my own you know attempt to tell people what's available to them is a bit like you often hear people saying after an lsd trip or ayahuasca or something profound oh my God, everyone should experience this once. And I feel that like with, with that about the deep awakening, the immersion. Everyone should experience this at least once. Everyone should know what this feels like. Everyone should grab the opportunity somehow and know what it feels like to be immersed in this level of oneness, connection, communion, love that we enter. So my, the reason that it feels like there's a resonance but the, for me in my own journey, I've moved on from that. Mm. And that this feels greater. This feels like it has, it's, a, it's of even more value. I think it makes it um, more re-accessible to, if I go into this place free of substances or not using substances to assist, I get something of a sense of how I went there and how I came back and it might not be an entirely crystal clear map but the more you do it the more the map develops and the more accessible it becomes throughout day-to-day -day life exactly richard that's it if you the reason that these things can be so negative is if your only method is to ingest something even though you know it's like you know look i'm, par I'm a paralogical thinker so look i get equally frustrated when i hear purists go Oh, I meditate because it's so much more natural. And I feel like, really? It's, that's more natural than eating a mushroom? <laughs> I'm not sure that's true. I think eating a mushroom is pretty natural. <laughs> you know, so I don't, you know, that frustrates me. Equally, on the other side, if you just rely on taking something into your body, if, you, if, you look, if your method is biological, it's hard to integrate it into soul. And what we're looking for is something which exists it's it's actually in the consciousness itself so that you can do it at will it's within you it's not you don't have to take it in it's already there okay tim thanks very much i found that fascinating i hope everyone else does too and um i'll see you soon i'll drag you away from writing again soon for another one of these dialogues thanks tim yeah, it was great i uh, i hope we didn't get ourselves into too much trouble i don't think we did no, I need to drinking whiskey. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs>